Alright, Spotters, welcome to another episode of To The Table, where two people review a movie that one another has never seen, and uh, we bring a movie to the table, so to speak. Uh, with joining me today is Alexis Soto. How are you doing today, Alexis? Uh, I am doing so, so well. It's actually good to be back on this show. It's been quite some time since you and I have done one of these together, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a really uh, long time after, after, uh, after the. What, what did we do last? I don't was know. It, uh, I, I don't remember. It wasn't it Face Off. Oh my God. Was it? I think that's yeah. Wow. That's the last time we did one. Face Off. Wow. Well, uh, today we're gonna face off. Today, uh, we have two uh, completely uh, contradicting movies in terms of like theme they're they're, of, they're, uh, they're just different movies in general like way but, different but uh it's just something that both uh, you and i haven't seen before uh, alexis gave me a movie called uh all the president's men uh and i gave him uh well uh, there's an interesting story about uh the movie that i gave him and it's a rocky horror picture show but there's an interesting way in which he saw it, and uh, I want to save that for last. I want to spend uh, more time on that because I want to hear your uh, your insight on the thing. And now that the movie has aged on you, I want to know what you what you think about it. Um, it will that be cool with you, Mr. Soto? Uh, yeah, whatever uh, you want, Kyle. Okay, so I'm going to go into uh, All the President's Men first. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexis, why did you give me this movie? Um, well, I gave you this uh, movie because um, I... It seems that you really liked the post, and you're very much intrigued with that era and um, the story that was going on there. And as we know, that movie kind of ends off with uh, teasing Watergate. And so I think... uh, And the movie starts off with Watergate. Exactly, right? So it's like... It's kind of like Rogue One. Yeah. Star Wars kind of thing. Exactly. So that's why I thought that uh, might as well just give this movie to you now because it's a movie you haven't seen, but it's also... It involves a story that you're interested in and I think you want answers on. And uh, I thought it was a good movie, too. I only recently saw the movie, like, I think late last year. Um, so it's not like I've known this for, like, a super, super long time. But this this is a 70s movie with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And it obviously, uh, it, it's it deals with the... Adventure, well, not so much an adventure, but the, um, the trial. What they went through. Right, what they went through. Uh, basically, this is uh, the Washington Post and the, the two famous reporters, uh, Bob Woodward and um, Carl Bernstein, who are assigned to basically solve Watergate. And as we all know, this led to the downfall of a president. Um, and like the post, it's eerily 
eerily relevant to what is happening in our own time. So I thought it's, it's so it's so funny how uh, stuff from the seventies is like very interconnected with what's going on in twenty eighteen and everything like that. Um, what can I say about this movie? Uh, it's a very very uh, interesting kind of kind of thing. Uh, first and foremost, I have to say that Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman's acting is amazing and superb. Uh, like their acting style, like you know how you watch uh, like movies of the seventies and the in the eighties, and you could definitely tell the acting is of that uh, that year yeah. or that decade. Yeah. Uh, their performance ages perfectly. Like the way that they perform their characters is very real, and it feels like uh, something that would be performed today. Um, if, and that it, is yeah, it's a it's a seventies movie, but it feels like it was made today. And uh, yeah, and I think. Uh, And that's very special. That's very unique because I see a lot of like movies of like different decades and it's and it's very catered to that decade. Um, There are some acting uh, choices from uh, other uh, actors that I could tell that is from that era. Uh, Specifically, the guy who plays uh, uh, Ben Bradley. Yes. Um, He is definitely like, let me tell you about this, uh, people and very uh very uh stereotypical bostonian uh accent and it's like very thick very exaggerated um and that's that's where you can compare and contrast uh tom hanks performance as ben bradley his was more subtle uh and that's where you get like okay gotta get into all that stuff um but overall i got the gist of what what it was trying to do and uh what it tried to do, it did, and it and it did it, uh, and it did it really good. Uh, I like I like how uh, how the movie first uh, the movie opens kind of with like a jump scare with the impounding sounds of a typewriter, <laughs> and uh, that that right there, I was like, okay, what am I watching? A white screen because I'm like because. You know, if a movie is trying to be profound, it starts with a white screen and then it fades, fades into the actual image. I thought it was going to do that, but no, it was like the impounding sounds of a typewriter. And that was really cool. That was a really cool effect. And you hear the the good, the good. And then you saw the the headlines on that. And and then uh, you see all that stuff. And it was really cool seeing. Uh, I thought a lot of the visual imagery was pretty pretty good i like how they use a lot of like the natural natural uh, lighting lighting of the thing uh like for example the offices they didn't use a lot of uh stage lighting or anything it was just all natural and that was that was a that was a nice little thing uh and i think that was uh that was a nice out of touch it, it, this movie added like a layer of realism that i really appreciated about it yeah um and uh, seeing everything unfold from like all the riddles that Deep Throat was given, uh, 
and I all the all the political like how nobody wanted to talk, nobody wanted to speak, and how Nixon pretty much uh, silenced all these people. Uh, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty scary that uh, that uh, leader of the free world is uh, is not very freeing. <laughs> uh, no no relevant uh, topic there. Uh, I just I. I I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. That's what I could uh, take away from it. Uh, do you have any questions for me about how you? Well, I mean, just to to back you up on some just general comments about the film, and uh, yeah, a couple of things to point out about it that I agree with you is the performances are terrific, um, and the uh, the shots. The, the director chose uh, were very important. I, I, I do think that um, there is this level of realism that I think helps to propel the importance of this movie even further. But I think for me, uh, what is the biggest takeaway from the movie is, you know, Watergate was a very complicated beast, and I think what was important for this movie to establish and to, like, do a home run is to, like, uh, present the base level uh, facts that everybody knows about the Watergate break-in and then use that as a staging ground to slowly unravel the, the big mystery because it's like we are – looking at the events of history and obviously no one really knew aside from the president about the cover-up, right? About the break-in. And you see the reactions and the shock as um, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman slowly but surely um, find... Uncover? Right. They're uncovering uh, what's actually there. And I think where the movie really excels is um, the big reveals and uh, and how and the journey to get there. Because obviously these reporters really had to bend over backwards, literally, to get these kind of reveals. And you're talking about yeah, because nobody was willing to talk. No one would, see. No one was willing. No one was willing to talk. On top of the fact that this was the late 60s, early 70s era, um, where communication and technology is not what it is today. It's not easily as accessible. It's just so much more difficult, right? And Yeah, like they were going house to house. Mm-hmm. They were going house to house and, and looking at different people. But when you, you notice that when they meet somebody new, they're so terrified. And there are several instances where they're, they're li- they literally fear for their lives. Like they're like they they know that they're being watched and yeah it it like it, go ahead uh, like i love this one scene where uh robert redford um after uh, after a deep throat tells them that uh, of the surveillance uh stuff that's going on and uh, i love like the like the like almost like panicked paranoid kind of uh kind of way that uh, Robert Redford's character uh, uh, presented himself and he went to Dustin Hoffman's place for for a bit 
And he was like, I can't, like, I can't speak. Like, he was trying to, like, mime that. And then he went to the typewriter, and I like how they, like, started messaging with the typewriter. It's kind of like uh, the modern day, like, uh, put something on your notepad from your, on your iPhone, and then, uh, then pass it on to the, to the person next to you. It's kind of like the equivalent, but except they had to have it on a typewriter. And I found that really cool. I found, like, little details like that really, uh, really interesting, and... The ways that uh, that they worked with uh, with what they had back yeah. then, like and yeah, like like there were like really long sh- uh, long takes of them just uh, trying to punch in a number on on the phone, and because they have the the spin the spinning wheels on the on the telephones to uh, to contact the number and the long the long takes that it would do to to get that. It, uh, it it kind of added a level of uh, of tension, kind of like yeah. My god, my god! I hope that they get. Uh, I hope that they get the information because it took it took them a while to just get like a single person on the line, and that that right there is like very eye opening. And you're like, uh, journalism today is kind of a walk in the well not not a walk in the park because um there's a president who's trying to destroy that today but uh and who also supports a regime that murders journalists we should put that down yeah and so uh, i it, it's kind it's kind of uh, daunting or tasking whatever whatever adjective uh, fit intimidating describes it uh, of how they tr- <laughs> the frustration you you feel the frustration in every single uh, number that they punch uh, that that really struck me I'm like when I was watching I uh, there, I don't know. It's just something about that scene of Robert Redford trying to punch in the numbers, uh, and that right there is like I'm frustrated for you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's good writing, good acting, or good uh, cinematography. I, I, I think it's great. Um, I think it's great filmmaking, and I want to add on what you were saying because I think that there are many moments throughout the movie that are really added in with a lot of tension and suspense. One scene that sticks out to me is in one of those sequences where uh, Robert Redford, who plays uh, Bob Woodward, is talking to Deep Throat in their usual meetup place. And then they, they hear a noise and they both freak out. And the minute that Robert Redford turns around, Deep Throat, Deep Throat is gone and he's just literally just backing away. And then he's just running and running because he feels that there's somebody behind him following him. And it's I think it adds just this extra layer to think that the journalists themselves, the reporters themselves, are now uh, being watched the same as the people who know about the cover-up. Uh, I thought that was a genuinely terrifying sequence. That was pretty creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just thought that this movie was a well, well, well shot. Let me ask movie. you this. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this question about uh, to get into the, you know, the the content about the scandal of Watergate. Did anything in this movie reinforce what you thought about Watergate? Did it like make it seem worse than you remember it being? Um, and the legacy of Richard Nixon. 
And then, of course, at the at the end of that, how it feels <laughs> similar to where we are now. I the thing that I took away from it is that I knew uh, that Watergate was shitty. I, I I knew that from the get go. I knew uh, I knew how uh, how deep this whole uh, this whole situation was, and how how uh, how uh, how long the the stream went uh but i uh, i did not uh the thing that i appreciate more about uh what what uh, journalists did uh at at the at the time was uh, how uh, how much endangered a lot of these uh these journalists uh were and how many uh how many people uh, were were terrified? I, I I got the fact that you know uh, Nixon did everything he could to to try to cover cover his tracks and all that shit. But the thing that uh, that I that I failed to realize was how many people's lives were at stake, and that that was that's a that's a no good thing. You know that's not that's not good. And uh, and that's what made that's what made uh, the situation more real and more uh, more uh, not mundane. It's not mundane. I'm trying to think of uh, of an adjective. Well, um, I, I just think it was terrifying that you had a situation in real life with the president was striking fear into the very lives of many Americans who had any information about this Watergate thing. It was. It, it felt like people who were in fear. Of a dictator, and some some people think that uh, Richard Nixon carried himself in that way, especially. And you see um, when they use Richard Nixon in the Post, because in the Post, uh, which is the events that precede the Watergate scandal with the Pentagon Papers, that he is portrayed as being very antagonistic toward uh, the newspapers because of. Uh, the 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 words they print about him and because of the leaking of government secrets so much so to the point where he actively seeks to discredit uh the newspapers and essentially considers him considers them his personal enemy and uh what i find more striking is the is the second to final image of the movie um because the movie ends with uh, with uh, the same typewriter uh, uh, typing away all the future headlines uh, following up uh, uh, Nixon's uh, impeachment or uh, resignation. And uh, the second to the last image that really struck me was uh, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman versus Richard Nixon. And there was a shot of uh, of a uh, of a TV and it's in the it's in the po- it's in the Washington Post uh, room uh, the main floor and uh, and off in the distance is uh, is uh, Robert Redford and uh, Dustin uh, typing away and uh, working on the next article uh, immediately, and them just uh, the sound of the typewriter and the sound of hearing uh, the the second term inauguration of uh, Richard Nixon. That right there is a really striking image. Just seeing, you know, it's a vision, it's a symbolism. 
uh, if you will, just seeing uh, the journalists versus Richard Nixon and just seeing that all in one one shot. And it was a really long take, really long take. And you really felt that that uh, that kind of uh, that kind of uh, importance with with that. And you definitely felt uh, compelled with what they were doing. You know, do you remember what what uh, shot I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know, I know exactly, and you're right. I agree with every word you're saying. Yeah, and so right there, you felt, you definitely felt the the need and importance of what they were doing, and that that right there is uh, is uh, one of my favorite shots from uh, from the film. It's yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's uh, it's the TV going off and uh, and then the inauguration and uh, and uh, the journalists just working and typing away trying to trying to dethrone this man you know yeah uh, unfortunately you cannot go like the Septa Baylor but <laughs> yeah well well we don't know. Um, I actually wanted to. But comment. no, that's a that's a complete burn on a, on American democracy, which we are against, ladies and gentlemen. We are against uh, the burning of American democracy. We stand for everything that is democracy here in Red Spotlight Entertainment. I actually uh, wanted to comment on the state of affairs uh, in which the world that you and I live in, Kyle, in two thousand eighteen are very much almost like a like a parallel to what's happening with Watergate. It's not the same. With Watergate. But I think the difference here is that it's happening out in the open more than what in Watergate where it was behind the scenes because as we're speaking, at this very moment in time, um, the president of the United States had already fired the director of the FBI because he wanted to impede and conclude the Russia investigation into collusion and, of course, separate investigation into obstruction of justice. And then recently, as this week, he fired the deputy director. uh, And it's beginning to look as if he he is literally knocking everyone off in his way to the special counsel, Bob Mueller, who is in, um, in charge of this investigation, who very, who at this point, by the way, an investigation that has already criminally indicted at least three people associated with the president, uh, former campaign manager, former national security advisor, former campaign uh, advice. These are some pretty high-profile people that have already been arrested and criminally indicted. Um, so we're we're watching this unfold before our eyes. And just this week, the president is kicking it in high gear by enlisting the help of the grand old party, the GOP. In they were literally planning this week on releasing a smear campaign on Bob Mueller. By releasing a memo that was written in the fifth dimension, this alternative reality, just to create disinformation and distrust within the FBI. You're seeing here a president and his political party united. Trying to destroy the infrastructure. They're they're trying to destroy America. 
by discrediting the, the Federal Intelligence Bureau. I mean, the Federal Bureau of Intelligence, the, the, the FBI. They, they're, they're trying to torch down the place just to protect the president. Because they also announced this week, by the way, that the Republican Party in, in the House is opening an investigation into the FBI. They're going to relitigate whether or not the FBI's investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails was mishandled because why the hell not? And also you have the Speaker of the House saying this week that the FBI itself needs to be cleansed. You have other senators who are seriously considering the fact that there, there, that a secret society may exist within the FBI, like a Hydra society that exists to take down President Trump. This is serious. The Illuminati exists. <laughs> and, you know, this, this this sounds like it's like it's made for a movie, right? But this is real life, and it's getting kind of scary because, like, we're talking about a movie. That happened, right? All the president's men dictate, like, is a real event, but. Do, do, no, I have a question for you. Does Donald Trump think that uh, out of nowhere, Nicolas Cage is going to come out of the corner and surprise everybody? Well, that's the thing, though. Tonight he gave a State of the Union, and he is a master of distraction. All he does is distract the American people and everybody around the world with. Literally anything when 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 any time the news and you watch this any time the news is focusing way too much on Russia he always finds a way to distract from that because at the end of the day you and I believe that there is so much there there that is illegal and corrupt and whether or not President Trump himself is guilty of collusion. I think several people in his campaign will be found guilty of collusion, and the president himself may be charged with obstruction of justice because what does obstruction of justice means? He is trying to destroy an investigation into himself. The FBI is investigating him, and he is actively trying to shut that down. That is illegal. That is treason. And you have a president who is acting and behaving like the last president who tried to take on a similar battle and ended up losing his presidency because of it. He would have been impeached and arrested if he hadn't resigned and been pardoned by Jerry Ford. So I think the importance of this movie, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Trump's speech Take is, your time. Trump's speech really took a toll on me. <coughs> you see the events of what happened in this movie. And it feels like it's just, it's playing out in real, in real time in our lives. And I just think this and the post make for a hell of a double, fe double feature, but a hell of a, of a sucker punch into, and a real eye-opening um, double feature to show you that how much things haven't really changed to here we are again with another president who is discrediting also the media. Uh, by the way, I mean, we, I've talked about him trying to destroy the FBI. He began his presidency by labeling media fake news. We're living in the era of fake news. And yeah, we say it all the time on this podcast as a joke, like, oh, you're fake news and everything. But it's a serious accusation to label the media 
as fake news. You're creating seeds of mistrust. And the president, this president, more so than Richard Nixon, is more focused on spreading his own kind of propaganda. And it really terrifies me as a concerned citizen of this nation where he plans on taking this because he is leading a cult of personality. And I just think with the films that we have discussed here, it, they're important because of real life. And it shows you why um, these kind of films do matter, that we need to reevaluate and, and, and to consider these things. And it also shows you how educational films can be. So, and it's also a, a hell of a good movie, I would say, All the President's Men, and I'm happy you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, IGN, 10 out of 10. Oh, uh, but there was no fish penis, though. 2 out of 10. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Uh, no Doug Jones, either. So yeah. that's, a, that's a debunk. Or no Michael Shannon. There was no Stan uh, Lee, either. No <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> uh, Alexis. Yes. Uh, for your film, you watched it quite interestingly. Well, you 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 need to describe what the hell that was I attended. So I had a <laughs> so for a long time I've been like Alexis, you got to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show, and of course, reluctantly. Unless uh, it has political intrigue or Oscar or uh, or uh, or uh, box office uh, uh, potency, he uh, refuses to watch anything outside of those three categories. Except that's so, not true because we've done a show called To the Table where I have seen films that you and Peter had recommended I've seen. Reluctantly, but Rel- yes. It doesn't matter. I've done it. I've kept my end of the bargain, and I'm very thankful for all of the films that I've been able to experience, including this one. So, that's a little tease of what's to come. So, I had you watch Rocky Horror Picture Show, one of my personal favorite movies. Um, And ironically, Peter, uh, and uh, I really really enjoy the movie. Well, Uh, I think you need to get into the history of this movie. And... I this movie was a cult classic. It is I mean, a cult I, classic. I, at at first it didn't do well. At first it didn't do well uh, in the theaters, and uh, and uh, ironically, uh, it is the longest running uh, movie in uh, in because it's still uh, playing in theaters the, to have a theatrical run and to qualify for that uh, every weekend, uh, every week. A uh, movie has to be playing. Uh, your movie has to be playing in order to make that uh, that qualification of uh, longest running uh, of theatrical run uh, cinema release movie, uh, and that that's a qualification. And uh, there's this uh, there's this group along with the movie, uh, well, many groups who uh, who riff uh, riff act. And uh, and uh, may pretty much interact with the film along with the audience, uh, and it is a it is a tradition of this movie 
to uh, to do that. And this uh, this level of interactivity with the uh, with these different group fan groups all over the globe uh, do this specifically here in the U.S. The U.S. has a lot of love for Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show made uh, the following uh, the following two names a household name: uh, Susan Sarandon and uh, Tim Curry. Uh, and those movies really, uh, really become a staple in not only uh, musical uh, musical cinema, but also uh, also it added a level of grotesque that made uh, that made it okay for uh, for movies of this caliber to be made and for just downright bonkerness uh, to be made. And so I was like. I want I want Alexis Soto, Alexis J Soto, to be introduced into this madness, and uh, what a hell of a way to be uh, introduced to the madness. Um, Alexis, first I'm gonna ask you two questions, and you could follow up, follow it up uh, one after the other. Uh, explain to me your your first uh, your first time seeing it with the interactive part because you didn't just see it straight up you saw it with the interactive part we saw it in the in the Kent theater in San Diego and it uh, a his first experience was the interactive experience and I'm not sure if you went back and watched the movie um, no, uh, you no. didn't have no. Yeah, I have to, but uh, you you got to experience the interactivity first. I'm quite jealous, actually. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe jealous, because uh, what a hell of a way to be introduced to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, it, it really, you really were introduced to it with a bang. And I, I, I want to know what your what your thoughts were, being introduced to it in such in such a non traditional way, Mr. Soto. Take it away. Well, um, first, I'd like to thank our good friends Nettie Valdez and Eric Wong for inviting us to attend this event. Yes. Because shout outs to them. If it weren't for them, we probably wouldn't have actually gone out and, and done this, or even heard about it. Yeah. Or, know, or or known that this stuff was happening. I knew about this stuff happening, but I didn't know that it was. Uh, I had the opportunity to go see it. So thank you, Nettie, for uh, for calling me and saying, "Hey, this this thing is going down." Uh, so anyway, continue, Mister Soto. Yeah. So, all right. Obviously, with this, there. Um because this wasn't just a regular thing where I, I, I saw the movie on my own. This was an added cinematic experience. Number one, because we actually went to a movie theater and we saw this play on the big screen. My first time seeing it on the big screen. But what also added... Quite jealous, Mr. Soto. What also added um, to what was happening... You, with this event that took place, it's not just that you're watching this particular film. And you, you basically have a sideshow going on around you like fucking surround sound um, riffing uh, with the movie uh, like a comedy club, basically. And just like telling jokes and one-liners and gags and 
a whole bunch of elaborate orchestrations along with people on stage, lip syncing and costumes and everything. costumes. Right. Yeah. They're doing everything uh, with the pace of the film. And that in itself is an added experience that you just couldn't get when uh, you're just watching the movie. And I have to say that, look, I I know Kyle has been trying to get me to watch this movie for so many years. There's a reason I stay the hell away from it because it looks like a complete crackpot case for uh, weirdos. And that's not meant as, as a disparaging comment. But clearly this isn't a, a movie anywhere anybody would accuse me of uh, being up my alley. This is entirely a film that Kyle would love because he, I mean, those, like for me, like, and that, that's not meant in any kind of light. That's just say that Kyle <coughs> likes those, those kinds of movies that are really out there and artistic and just weird and, and fun. And those are the kinds of movies that for the, for the greater part of my life, I've done, uh, I've gravitated away from entirely because they just look like weird and stupid and a complete waste of time. And uh, I'm actually very much uh, grateful that I had the opportunity to see this for the very first time with uh, a group of huge, huge fans uh, who not only put on the added production, but also with a full audience of fans of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, including Kyle. Kyle was hollering and on his feet and applauding and yelling and laughing with uh, so much of what was happening. And I will get into any particulars that I heard about the, um, the live experience toward the latter half of the conversation. I actually want to focus right now on the movie. But I I, I, I do think it, it, it really made the movie hold up better, watching it on the big screen and then also seeing this adoration for it, this level of respect for it and love. Because um, I, 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 I don't know if I would have liked it as much as I really did if I had just seen it on my laptop because yeah by itself because like I this is a really weird fucking movie (laughs) no seriously this is the weirdest this is the weirdest shit I've seen ever like I and like by the way like Kyle had shown me Various and multiple occasions of Tim Curry's performance as what's the character's name? Doctor Frankenfurter. Of course, <laughs> Doctor Frankenfurter. Um, the musical number "I'm a Sweet Transvestite." I had the great pleasure of being introduced to that years before I had even seen the fucking movie. Which, by the way, I'm not sure that that helped in gunning my interest for the movie initially. I don't think it did. Um, not that I thought little of it. It's just that, okay, well, okay. <laughs> I'm a sweet transvestite. I, I mean, that... that uh, it's a great freaking number. It, Don't deny it. it. It's a weird <laughs> fucking thing because uh, apparently at the very end it was revealed that um, 
that these people were aliens from a from a place called Transylvania in which they're a very sexualized culture and it's uh, from the galaxy uh, uh, Transylvania from uh, from the planet Transsexual. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, you see, that is something that came out of left field, but really kind of makes the most sense if anything in this movie came to making sense which is so weird because it just happens at the at the last possible mom- moment to establish oh these people are actually aliens like it's like oh <laughs> they just dropped the information oh by the way guys these guys are aliens just so you know because like okay so this starts off with Susan Sarandon and I guess his name is Brad the character they're off after a wedding and they're engaged, I think, and they're like the stereotypical American conservative young couple. And in the 70s, right, then this came out, and they're um, stuck off the side of the road in the middle of a storm, and they go into this creepy, haunted place. Um, and oh my God, I don't know what the hell they were expecting, but that was not it. You, 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 from the moment they step into that mansion, um, it is just a parade of the most inconceivable and uh, and baffling for words. No, it, it is, it is a parade of the most inconceivable and baffling group, group of sequences I think I have ever seen because it's basically from the minute they get into there these are these weirdos that are just singing and dancing and you know singing and dancing in the mu- I guess this is considered a musical right yes yeah it is um, a musical yeah it's a musical and it's like yeah that that's not normally what's weird but it's just how these people act that that's just at some point it gets to be kind of terrifying with how they're dressed and how they look and the things that they can do. And I mean, really the couple, they're just there to, you know, to, to, to call somebody for help. And they just get swapped. They, they get swept up in this, <coughs> excuse me. They get swept up in this, it's um, kind of like this weird macabre storm yeah. that, they, that they get involved in. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they literally, um, they go into the mansion, then it's like, let's do the time warp, and then uh, I'm a sweet transvestite, and then they go underground, and then the transvestite brings life to this Adonis in a bubble bath, and then out of nowhere, this biker dude crashes into the place. He gets played gloriously fan- by Meatloaf. He gets a fan- he gets this fantastical musical number until the sweet transvestite. Murders him with an axe, and then we're just okay. And then we move on to. Do you know why? Do you know why he? Oh, well, uh, he well, killed- well, 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 hold on. We'll, we'll get to that. I, I don't. First of all, so I don't know. I, I, I really have no idea what the point of that sequence was. To tell you the truth, we'll get to that later. And then it walks into, um, Tim Curry having sex with the Adonis, and then having sex with Susan Sarandon, and then having sex 
with Brad, which were honestly entertaining sequences. And then, <laughs> really, I mean, you get your pay grade there. Um, and then we go into this disgusting display, disgusting dispute, excuse of a dinner, and then we get betrayals of... And then they're, they're eating uh, the biker dude. Yeah, we get betrayals, and then... Yeah, like, this movie is just... It's like, I, I was... Bonkers. It was, it's bonkers. It's like, do you have... You have all the while, it's being narrated by this old dude. It's like, where the hell is this thing going? Play... The criminologist <laughs> is played uh, amazingly by uh, Charles Gray. And uh, for those who know uh, Charles Gray and those who know me specifically, uh, know that uh, he portrayed Ernst Blofeld in uh, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, James Bond movie. So I, I, I really like his uh, role. And when they did the revival, when Fox did the revival on a Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Tim Curry played his role. So I found that that was the only thing I was like, yes, I, I, I completely I'm with that 100 percent. And the uh, when the Fox did the revival thing. So anyway, go on. Yeah, um, I uh, what I think the movie excels is clearly in creativity. I mean, shit. I don't think anybody has anything on this movie as far as creativity is concerned. I mean, that, <laughs> uh, that, that that's something I, I never would have thought of, really. Um, I think some people may may think that, why why was this even made? And honestly, there were times throughout the movie where I was thinking just that is like, why? Like, really, uh, I mean, not in a, again, not in a disparaging way, but just like in a, and like, oh, oh, okay. Why? We're why? going there. Yeah. Well, not that we're going there, but like, oh, why? What, what, what was the reason why this was made? Like, you know, I usually try and find the meaning, uh, the, the importance of the creation. But I have to say, I, I, th- I think really I, I enjoyed it for the mere crazy value. Um but when you peel away at the craziness, which isn't a bad thing, I don't consider it a bad thing. I'm not saying it as a bad way, but it is crazy. Um, I, I think many fans would say that the craziness adds to the charm of this movie. Um, but when you strip away the craziness, when you get down to it, you're left with some pretty stellar performances that, look, <laughs> if this thing is weird... The actors really, really sold it um, when it came to the the acting as well as the singing. And <coughs> I had no idea Tim Curry was that dynamic of a performer. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, that. man. Oh, man. Yeah, I have to see some of his other stuff. Like uh, his performance in The Three Musketeers is par nine, man. I think it's just... Uh, Tim Curry's such a fascinating actor and the way the choices that he makes, the way that he he like, oh, uh, my finger will move 
this way instead of the other way, and somehow it'll make all the difference. And it does make all the difference. And that's such a great thing about Tim Curry and what he does. Um, what else? What else, Alexis? Um, the songs are pretty great. Hey, the musical is great. It has great songs, and I thought they were all pretty stellar. I mean, I don't know what the hell was going on with that meatloaf thing, but it was a pretty cool song. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> really bless my soul. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's really what it comes down to it is like this movie alone it is worth it just to see the performances and the songs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I ended up liking it at the end of the day. I didn't think I would. Um, but yeah, uh, it's crazy, but hey, it's good. Okay, so uh, you don't know what Meatloaf was doing there in the musical, right? You don't again, know again, I should stress that because, you know, we were in a theater, but there was a, a sideshow literally happening, so... It is. It had a hard very, time paying attention. Uh, no, well, I mean, it had a hard time hearing because we were in the back, you know. So okay. we had a hard time hearing exactly the context of what that was. I have no idea where that scene came from, and what was even happening, or what was the importance of that character. Okay, uh, the, uh, we should take a part of the podcast that way. I could answer some of those uh, some of those issues you had okay. uh, first. I'll take that. I'll take the whole meatloaf issue uh, as the first question. Now, uh, notice how he created uh, a guy, uh, Rocky. Remember when he created Rocky, uh, Doctor Frankenfurter? Remember yes, that? Yes, yes. Uh, meatloaf was the prototype. Really, Doctor Doctor Frankenfurter made meatloaf to be his ultimate sex slave. Okay. And and uh they were lovers at one point, but uh of course it's Meatloaf and Meatloaf has to be rebellious and rock and roll and all that stuff and he became like the ultimate like heartthrob amongst all the um all the um the Transylvanians in the thing. Specifically a wrote uh, the roadie, which is the one that's uh, dressed in gold garb. Right, right. Uh, she became infatuated with them, and they fell in love. Uh, and he wasn't having that, so that's why. Uh, that's why he had uh, he had uh, meatloaf murdered because he's like, if if uh, if I can't have him, nobody can have him, and he's like a jealous fit kind of thing. And so that's why he made Rocky. He made the the new and improved sex slave kind of thing and that's why you heard the wedding bells i remember when you heard the wedding bells and they were going into that chamber with the with the really suggestive bed yeah yeah so they were gonna they were gonna they were gonna do the dirty uh after after his creation and he made rocky like perfect and for him for dr frankfurter and that was the whole thing is that he wanted to create the ultimate uh sex toys sex sex boy or whatever and that was the whole point of that uh does that make sense yeah yeah that see that that makes so much that pretty much is the context for what i was missing yeah that makes perfect sense okay you have any more questions about uh 
about the about the movie? Um. So this is like the 1970s, and it's depicting Dr. Frankenfurter fuck Brad. Yeah. Wow. And not only that, but giving Brad head. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's pretty funny. the the sh- the neck one of the next shots in the movie is a uh, is a uh, is a uh, Janet looking at the at the screen and seeing a uh, seeing a uh, Frankfurter laying there. And uh, and Brad having like having like a cigarette after after that like he feels so dirty like he's like I gotta I gotta clean the I gotta clean my soul kind of thing and it's just it's just really funny it's just really funny seeing that um, any anything else um not at the moment uh, you can pick it up from here uh, okay about the movie. Or did you want to uh, go into the the experience overall? Uh, I want to I want to say a few more things about the movie. Okay. I think the movie I think the movie is perfectly structured. Uh, I, the the structure in which okay we got to get from point A to uh, to B, and how they get there is amazing. Like you get character development, you get. Uh, you get uh, introduction and uh, to their world. You know, it's a great world building movie on a very low budget, uh, and the and all the music is uh, is great, brilliantly written by Richard O'Brien, who uh, who played one of the characters in the movie and is uh, Riff Raff, and uh, he uh, he's the guy, bald guy, the bald guy in the movie. Yes, yes, uh, yes. He's the writer and creator of this uh, of this whole excursion, and I think that we have to give a huge applause to him because uh, of what he did. He created a cultural phenomenon, and I think, uh, and uh, I I like uh, I like how uh, in the beginning of the whole thing, which we'll get to, uh, which we'll get to in a bit, the whole uh, experience uh, when they were beginning the riffage. They uh, they said in the name of the holy Richard O'Brien, Amen, and uh, I, I I found that I found that really uh, really intriguing. Like, oh, okay, yeah, it, it makes sense because he did create this whole kind of kind of uh, kind of culture and the way that this movie is, and it is regarded in like one of the best. Uh, cinematic uh, musicals of all time and with the good reason it is a really well made movie and uh, I uh, every every year I, I pop it in this was my fifth time watching the movie uh, seeing it with you so I knew all this all the stuff all the context and all that stuff and uh, and I and uh, once once every two months I find myself listening to the entirety of the soundtrack. You find yourself doing the time warp yet again. Yep, exactly. Let's do the time warp again. All right. So Alexis, uh, well, hold on, hold on. One more thing before we we transition to the experience. Um, I want to ask you, what if any um, message do you think this movie has to say on the issue of sexuality? 
these earthlings are not doing uh doing enough, man. They they got to be sexier. That's why uh, that's why Riff Raff and uh, Patricia killed uh, killed uh, Doctor Frankfurter. Yeah, Frankfurter wasn't sexy enough. No, that's why they killed him. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But I mean, in general, like, what do you think about this movie? Because it's very clear to me, based on having you know seen the fandom of this film in full force that this has appeared appealed to uh wide swaths of uh of demographics uh around the world and obviously a big a, a, a huge theme of the movie is sexuality what if any like commentary do you think the movie has to say about sexuality in general like in terms of, like in our culture and society because this was the 70s, right? This is a time mm-hmm. where sexuality that wasn't heterosexual wasn't accepted. And not only that, but the subsequent uh, decade after that was the whole big AIDS scare and fiasco. Which um, ravaged uh, the LGBT community. Yeah. Or I should say savaged even. Uh, and, uh, they were, they, they had a huge, uh, target painted on their head unjustly. Um, mostly a lot of, a lot of cases of, uh, the AIDS came from, uh, came from, uh, druggie sharing needles. Yeah. And Woodstock, and baby. Way, yeah. Groovy, baby. Yeah. Um, I, to me, I think the movie uh, was centered on uh, don't be so uptight, I guess. Yeah. Uh, because it was it, be be aware of all these things. Because uh, and, yeah. for Brett, for Brad and Jet, for Brad and Janet, their downfall was their naiveness of uh, what was going on, and that was their eventual downfall. Uh, them being naive on on sexuality and and all that, and them being afraid of everything, uh, everything sexual, uh, got them got them where they were at the end. So, uh, because they were they were trying to like say, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We 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 do what we do, and that and that's what that's what we do, you know, uh, and. Uh, them being naive about it really, uh, really got them uh, stuck in the end. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what the message I I got from it was. Yeah, maybe people should. I mean, clearly the people who made this project in the nineteen seventies knew uh, that sexuality isn't a big deal, and people should stop caring about it as much. Like, really, stop flipping out about sexuality because. You know, people. I believe people are meant to experiment with sexuality, and whoever you identify it with is your choice, and it's your life, and you shouldn't feel uh, pressured into choosing one. And you certainly, I mean, if it's even an option, I mean, that's a whole debate in, in and of itself. But even then, you shouldn't be persecuted and attacked for being who you are. And that's, I think, in my book, an important underlying message to this movie. Um, 
that, you know, it isn't that big of a deal, and it's certainly not a big enough deal to divide ourselves even further than we already are. So, that's my two cents. Yeah. Okay, so speak to me about your uh, your experience. Well, I mean, me. I think this would be a communal thing because, you know, you and I shared this ex- experience together. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I knew about all this stuff going in. Uh, even though I've not experienced it, uh, you came uh, completely unaware of the extent of what was going on. Uh, you thought it was just going to be a performance piece, but it really wasn't. Uh, it was a full on, uh, full on thing. I knew that a lot of people were going to be like throwing new uh, toilet papers and like uh, riffing throughout the whole movie and and uh, completely doing that. So I want to I'll tell about my first experience with this, but I'm more interested and I think our listeners are more interested in hearing what you have to say. Mr. All Sandler. two of them. Well, maybe, maybe if that Um, we'll have to check the down the download uh, yeah. counter on podcast.com. Okay. Um, I I had an idea of an interactive piece, but what I got really just blew that out of the water. <laughs> I mean, I I certainly wasn't expecting it to be as intense as it was because I mean, there were a certain there was certain areas in which the people who are, are, are running this production can get in your face about it. Um, and it, it's definitely an experience that is tailor-made for uber fans of this movie. Um, but I was frankly just astounded by the absolute complexities and elaborate nature of uh, all of what it took to put this on because I think the people who put that that production on should be commended because it takes an extraordinary amount extraordinary amount of time to you know you really do have the when they're riffing or when they're like doing certain jokes is they have you have to time that particular joke with you know, the time frame or the time stamp of the movie, like what scene is playing, what shot are we looking at? I know one reoccurring thing is whenever Janet had her mouth open, they would, they had this big penis, the shadow of this big penis put in in her (laughs) mouth. Um, (laughs) Or like uh, they put it, they put it in the corner of the screen. When she looked interested in in that particular direction. And then she, and then they they said uh, penis at uh, at uh, seven o'clock, and then she turned and she was like, "That got her attention," and just like stuff like that. I mean, and they, like and that. they did call her a slut like every five minutes. Yeah, like they 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 gave uh, Brad and Janet uh, nicknames. They gave uh, they gave Janet uh, uh, the nickname of slut. And they nicknamed uh, Brad Asshole, uh, which 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 uh, fits uh, which fits their kind of demeanors, I guess. Uh, also, I mean, there, there was just so many um, 
up-to-date material that I really adored. I know, like, it kind of reminded me of how... And it's so weird that I'm comparing those to Disney. But it kind of reminded me of what they did at DCA, the Disney California Adventure Park, with their production of Aladdin, which had mm-hmm. the, the genie, and the genie was, like, the star of the production, and he had, like, up-to-date material... Uh, to use for the new, which made the show really stay up to date in its like fourteen Dude, year run. Wouldn't it have been great to see uh, Aladdin uh, in the Trump administration? Well, I mean, we got a little taste of that here. Um, there was a lot of uh, Trump done. I mean, I I think there was a point where Donald Trump must die. Donald Trump must die. Uh, they were chanting. Um, there was this thing about Nazis came up, and then someone said, "Actually, they prefer to be called the alt right." Yeah, um, and, and then I like I like the joke where uh, you have uh, Dr. Frank Furter. He's dead in the water. Oh my god! And then they, oh my and then god! And then they out. Meanwhile, in Puerto Rico, <laughs> that killed me. <laughs> and it's so fucked up because people are are you know. There's so many people in Puerto Rico without power, but I mean that's a pretty accurate description, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it it's, it's so fucked up. And and other jokes are really funny too. I like the it, it's crass, it's it's dirty, uh, but I loved it uh, when after uh, after this long winded performance that uh, Tim Curry puts on. Uh, they were like, what do we give this uh, performance? A 6.9. What's a 6.9? Oh. It's a 69 ruined by a period. Just stuff like that was was amazing. And that was great. I, I, really, I really love, because uh, about 70 to 85% of this, the riffing is scripted. You know that, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it kind of has to be scripted. I mean, with with the, with the pace that they're going with the movie, it needs to be for the most part. I yeah. thought it, I thought it was all scripted. I mean, um, once in a while they they go off book, but that's uh, that's uh, on a rare occasion. Like Donald Trump in the campaign rally. Yeah. Uh, so any anything else, Alexis? Um, that was a hell of a day. I'll tell you that. I think I had a lot of fun that day. Would you recommend the Rocky Horror Picture Show to anybody? Ooh, um, or just to uh, a certain select few who would uh, appreciate it? If you're daring enough. And willing to put up with uh, with some things that you might not find uh, flattering. Like if you don't like – if you want to see the movie on its own, just do that um, and be prepared for a lot of interruptions, a lot of loudness, a lot of crassness, phallic material even. Um. Uh, but like, if you don't give a shit and you want a good time, this is a good time. Yeah, it's a great time. Um, they, uh, according to uh, 
Crazed Imaginations, which was the which is the organization in San Diego that uh, that does this thing. Uh, go watch it at the at the Ken Theater because uh, they're they're more lenient on the jokes, and you definitely see a lot of skin. Uh, that's another thing about uh, oh if you were God. to ever see it. You definitely see a lot of skin. Uh, and they were allowed to at that uh, specific theater. So go if you're in San, the San Diego area and uh, that's going on, go watch it in uh, in the Kent Theater. It's uh, in Kensington near uh, near near Hellcrest. Uh, and uh, go watch it there. I know that they do one in Encinitas or something like that. Uh, and uh, they're far a little more conservative, leaning on the conservative side um, there. So they're not allowed to like show skin and stuff like that. But uh, if you want the full Monty, go go see it in the in the Kent Theater, or uh, find out which districts allow the allow your kind of preferences kind of thing. Uh, final thoughts, Alexis. Uh, that was it. Um, that was it. Well, my final thoughts is, uh, this is a really entertaining movie. Go see it. Um, and yeah, I had a good time with it. And before we go, I do want to, you know, promote our next to the table, our chaplain hour. Yes, it, it's pretty much a chaplain themed uh, to the table with you having me watch one of his works, uh, Modern Times. Right. Which I I had no idea existed. Um, and I'm having you watch, uh, the Robert Downey Jr. movie, uh, Chaplin, which, uh, which is a pretty great movie that I, and also, I've also been, uh, championing for you to see it for a long time. Uh, so yeah, we're going to watch Modern Times. I remember seeing a couple of Chaplin movies, like, uh, I saw The Kid, I saw The Kid and The Great Dictator and stuff like that, and... Uh, those are really good. Uh, those those are two good movies about him, and I uh, can't wait to see uh, Modern Times. Can't uh, you wait to see Chaplin? Uh, yeah, no, I I, um, I can't wait. Uh, that'll be I think next week or something. Um, it's gonna be a fun show. Um, I do want to uh, just for those who do do not know, Modern Times is a silent movie. For the most part, one of the last major silent films in Hollywood. So that's something brand new that we're going to be uh, a new kind of movie. I don't think we've ever covered a silent film on To the Table before. No, we have not. And I think it'll be the only time. Unless unless I I have you watch uh, Trip to the Moon. I've already seen Trip to the Moon. Oh, really? Yes, I have a film class, and uh, yeah, I've already saw a trip to the moon. We can do really? it to the oh. table about that later. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, let's do it right. I want to discuss it right now. What did okay. you think about it? Um, what the hell? Because it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of cinema. I'm just like completely entranced by it. What do you, what is your, I okay, mean, so. Go what ahead. the hell is your is your reaction? I mean, it's pretty innovative. I'll give you that. Uh, they have a, these bunch of old men, I think, and they 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 form a contraption, and they go to the moon, right? Is that yeah. what they want? And they go to the moon, and then they get there, and it, it's like there's, oh my god, 
Um, bunch of discoveries. Yeah. They're like these like creatures. Yes. Not they're not quite aliens. Yeah. But they're something. Yeah. Um I just love the ingenuity of the uh trip to the moon. No, yeah. I, I thought it was great entertainment and uh the class loved it very much. Uh I thought what was most remarkable is in the class itself there is this uh TA and she brought she usually brings her like seven or eight year old son to the class. And I think you can tell how how great a film of any kind is, especially how old it is and for the type of black and white silent movie, one of the first movies ever made. And the kid Oh, was, you watched the black and white version? I think it was the black and white version, yeah. Yeah, it was the black and white version. And because I saw the I saw the color version. You know, I honestly anyway, I, I can't recall. Okay, I, I it could have been either or, but what I'm saying is the kid was laughing his ass off. So he was wildly entertained. I think that was pretty nice to see a seven eight year old in 2018 enjoy a movie uh, from uh, an era that has largely been gone for quite some time. Yeah. And a great moment in cinema because that was yes. the beginning of it all. Uh, I saw the. I what entranced me was uh, it was the color version, and that was the reason why it was in color was because they took each an individual reel, and individual uh, vector, and they colored it in right uh, yeah. frame by frame. Which I and, mean, that has to suck. That has, it, it's a it's a fifteen minute movie, but it it is uh, just well, I mean, them mo- going. Movies weren't long back then. I mean, that was I think cutting it. That, I mean, that was feature back length then. back yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, them coloring the the filmmakers coloring in, uh, uh, reel by reel, frame by frame was really interesting and I and I really and I really enjoyed that kind of aspect to it. Plus you have the famous image of the moon and the contraption getting lodged in the moon's eye. Uh and that that's always a the bonus to see and uh it, it's great. It's great. So yeah, go check out to the moon also guys. Uh, uh <laughs> you could say that about all the movies that we 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 put out and we talk about and discuss. He just watch more movies. That's the that's the whole thing, and uh, that's the thing that we're trying to encourage here onto the table. And it's also and very it, exciting to branch out into new kinds of movies. Yeah, and if you like to the table, you could check it out uh, on podcast.com if you're Android user or. Uh, and uh, if you're an Apple user, go to iTunes.com, and uh, the podcast will be there, too. Also, our other podcasts, uh, Rest Ball Entertainment and uh, Fantasy Fair, uh, come out on, uh, on both of those sites. And uh, if you want to see our bright and shiny faces, check out YouTube, uh, where we do our After Darks, where we, uh, where we vlog our reaction to a movie we just saw. Or uh, if you uh, are in the area 
I live uh, in the La Jolla area. Uh, I live on the UC San Diego campus, where I currently am employed by Starbucks, which, by the way, I should recommend uh, our brand new blonde espresso promotion. It's a more caffeinated espresso shot with a tinge of a sweetness, a citrus flavor sweetness to it. Um, right now, at no extra charge, I will tell you that. The new blonde espresso at Starbucks. And what is a podcast if it isn't Alexis promoting something? Yes. Um, at least you can say it wasn't Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which, by the way... <laughs> you can catch you every can single Friday at 9 on ABC. Um, except for February, because they're going on hiatus until March 2nd. So... That's something. Red spotters, I bid you farewell. <laughs>